You're watching Profile Pod TV with Double A. And always remember to take it easy. What's up, everyone? Double A back for another episode of the pod. Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure, pleasure hosting your podcast here, your favorite podcast. And today we have our special guest, man, stand-up comedian Richard Villa out of Southern California. And let me tell you what, man, this guy came on and just started a riot. (laughs) Uh, He was super funny, man. Had a really, really cool story about selling crack cocaine. Yes, you heard that right. Selling crack cocaine as an eight-year-old in Compton, California. And tune in for that story, man. You got to listen in. So it's just, uh, you know, it sounds uh, outrageous, right? It sounds outrageous, and it is. It is outrageous. So tune in, and you'll enjoy that. He's just a downright funny guy, man. So he's got a cool story. He tells us how he got into comedy, among other things. So thank you so much once again for being here. Don't forget to follow, like, share, subscribe on all the major platforms. Follow me on Instagram, at the profile pod. It's all good. So... Once again, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. And always remember to take it easy. Peace. And welcome back to the Profile Pod. I'm your host, Double A, back for another spectacular episode of the pod, man. It's great to be back here on the podcast, man. It's been over a, just over a month here, uh, a little hiatus, a little vacation, sabbatical, whatever you want to call it, man. It's, uh, I, was, I, was, I took uh, some good time off, man, with the family, had some vacations. Uh, we, we were up in Northern Cali. That's what Kennedy. people that went to prison say, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, no, I wasn't. I was in a friendly prison. Let's put it that way. Uh, but yeah, it's good to be back. We're here with with a really, really amazing guest. Before we get to our guest, man, I just want to welcome everyone back and say uh, again, man, and thank you for for the, all the support, all the love, man, on social media, on the podcast, on social Nostra. It's all good. And again, man, I, it's it's good to be back here. So uh, don't forget to follow, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. Subscribe on YouTube. Uh, leave me a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. You guys know the deal, man. And, and, you know, I appreciate all the support, all the feedback, all the input. It means a lot to me. So let's keep that going. So uh, this is the podcast, man, that brings on individuals doing extraordinary things in life to inspire the human spirit. And today, man, we got a very, very special guest. This gentleman has been all over the world. He's been doing the comedy for, for a long time now. He's, you might have seen him on, on Netflix, Comedy Central, HBO, uh, maybe cutting your grass. I don't know. Um, he, <laughs> he's uh, he's doing big things, man. He's doing big things. And I, again, I, I can't thank him enough for being here. And uh, this gentleman, again, he's going to be performing this Sunday, August 7th at the Ontario Improv en Español. So if you can catch that, go go check him out there in, in Ontario. My old stopping grounds, grounds of the IE, the Inland Empire. Uh, he grew up in Compton and he's here to tell all about his stories and uh, what he's up to, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome very, fu- very funny, very funny, Richard Villa. What's up, brother? How's it going, buddy? <laughs> What's going on, man? How you doing? Nice to be with you, bro. Um, 
Great, great. I'm, I just, because I have a lot, a lot of little toys after COVID and I kept messing with the buttons. Now that I have a podcast, I'm like, oh, I'm going to mess with it. But how's it going, man? I'm having a great time, man. I'm out here in the IE getting ready for the Spanish show on Sunday, but uh, excited for this podcast, man. I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, man. We, we, we need to shine better light on Latinos and showcase what they're doing. So thank you for what you're doing, man. Oh no, man! I appreciate you saying that, brother. And, and it's it's it goes both ways, man. You know, it, you support uh, somebody by coming on the podcast, and then the podcaster brings on somebody to to shed light on their stories. And it's it's just love go both ways, man. And I've been doing this about you know a little over three and a half years now, man. And let so, me ask you a question: mm-hmm. If we didn't do it for each other, you think anybody else would? Well, I, that's a that's a good question. Exactly. I don't know, man. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and we, we're still waiting, guys. So get off your ass and start helping each other. I'm serious. This is a serious, this because we, we're bringing it up and we, we kind of say things like that without really thinking about it. But I like to stop people and go, no, think about it, bro. You think if we don't do it for each other, somebody else is going to go, oh, let's do it for them. No, that doesn't happen. That's why we kept being pushed at the back of the line, back of the line. You have to be aggressive. Squeaky wheels, get the oil. Sorry. You know what I mean? I'm sorry to bring these points up, but people need to wake up and go, you're right. We need to help each other. Nobody else is going to do it for us. Yeah. yeah. No, no doubt, man. No, no. Doubt, no. Man. And I, I'm, I don't need to fake it. You asked yeah. me to be on this and you're a Latino podcast. I saw what you were doing. I thought it was a great vibe. And that's the reason I'm here. I'm not here because of your numbers. I'm not here because of anything else. I just saw nepotism. Yes. Yes, it exists. He's Latino. I'm going to help him. So what? Because I can do it. And if you're black and I like you, I'm gonna help you too. But I will always give preference to my gente. Sorry, I'm sorry. I prefer my people. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, brother. No, man. You're 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 exactly exactly right, Richard. Good point, man. Absolutely, man. Yeah, we we gotta help each other, man. We gotta stick together. And, and like you said, man, anybody I can help. But uh, you know, Latinos and Raza, and, and, and it's a, it's a special it's a special dynamic there. We got to keep pushing together. Absolutely, man. Because oh, at the you. end of the day, we we were all there, bro. Like, I, 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 I guarantee you, if I tell you my story, you'll relate to 90, 90, 80% of it. I mean, regardless of what it is, you're going to go, yeah, a lot of that was me too. Yeah, absolutely. So knowing Except for the, 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 the selling crack part. Oh, yeah, the selling crack part. Maybe <laughs> a little <bit> different. <laughs> at 10 years old, man. No, but, but yeah, you know, thank you, Richard. No, you're right, bro. Thank you for, for that, for saying that and, you're absolutely let's keep pushing man and yes sticking together and building the community and, and uh making things happen like that so uh yeah yeah man you, you have a great story bro you grew up in compton man and i think you were born in uh, correct me if i'm wrong and uh goodness gracious in mexicali mexicali yes uh, uh cachanilla cachanilla so what happened is my parents uh had us in Compton, California. My dad made some money, went to Mexico. All of this while he's illegal. We, we build a store out there. The economy crashes in 1988 in Mexico, where el peso se devalúa. And now my dad's, you know, forced to come back to the, the U.S. as an illegal. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like, oh, my kids are legal. I can No, no, no. So my uncle took us through the Halloween, dressed up, and then we crossed. But I'll tell you, and then we ended up in Compton now. My dad has four kids and a wife ready to start his life in the U.S. In a one-bedroom, bro. We were all in one bedroom. And we're like, ah, oh, shit. So my dad's like, what do I do, man? I don't have papers. I don't know English. I don't know anybody. His cousin says, hey, man, I got a deal for you. I got a house in Compton. You can stay with your family. This is the deal, though. You guys are going to sell crack. 
And my dad's like, I don't, I don't, I don't speak English, primo. He says, don't worry, Richard does. I, I don't know if you can tell, but my name is Richard. I was a translator at 10 years old. I become the translator for my dad. And like oh. any good business, you use family, right? You can trust me. Like, it's not like I can run away. I'm 10. <laughs> so then what he What were you thinking though, Richard? Were you, were you kind of, uh, were you just kind of going with the flow at that point? No, or no, no, like, no, no, no. I don't want to do this. No, 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 no. You asked like I had a fucking choice in the board meeting. The fuck you no, what is this? <laughs> How did you feel about it, bro? Like, were you like, fuck, I don't want to do this, or yeah, hell yeah, let's do it, you know? No, it, my 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 introduction to the job was like, Ricardo, Bibi, they call me Bibi, Bibi, ven para acá. Dile si va a querer un ocho, mira, este es el ocho. Dile si quiere un ocho. Que que este ocho dile que va a salir en tanto. I'm looking at cocaine for the first time at ten, going. I didn't even know I was hired. I didn't even know that was going to be my role, and so. That's how it went, bro. You don't get to choose. I don't know if you have effects in Paris, but they don't tell you, hey, would you like to participate? No. He told me, hey, wait, le voy a vender este ocho este cabrón. Dile que cuánto le So now I'm translating. Hey, my dad said he's going to give you an eighth, an eighth, un ocho de coca. And that was it. That was my first day at the job. And then that was it. After that, my dad said, okay, open your eyes. I, 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 he realized that I was like a deer in the headlights. Like, I didn't know what was going on. He says, okay, I have to explain it to them. So just told everybody, okay, tu tío Hugo, he's going to be their marketing department, basically. Porque le dijo su primo, yo no conozco estos güeyes. He said, tu, 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 fucking your brother smokes crack, bro. And he's here. Just tell your brother to fucking tell everybody. And that's what my uncle did. My, my dad would tell us, dele una piedra a tu tío. Hey, give him the rock. Let him smoke it. All right, now go promote. So at night, he would go and promote. We would stay up all night, bro. Remember, I'm still going to school at the time. I'm in yeah. the sixth grade, fifth grade. <laughs> Unreal, but three in the morning. Levántate, güey. Dile que qué quiere. Damn. But it's wake up call. This this whole thing, and my dad kept fighting it because he would tell his cousin, "But I don't know how to cook this crack thing." He says, "Your wife's an amazing cook. It's easy. It's like making cookies, except you can't lick the spoon at the end." Okay, me. So he had it all figured out. It was a, a fully functional family business. I I became the store manager, basically. Um, Based on the business. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was a translator. And then and then in Compton, well, you know, you can't just have a house and, and people come to your house every day for five minutes, like constantly. I mean, you, that, that that's not a, that's not a house. Everybody try. can tell what the fuck you're selling. So my dad, to cover it up, he put a shop, a machine shop right next to the house, the garage converted into a shop. Then he made it into a candy store, the front of the house. And if you oh. still go to my house in Compton, that first porch cover, yeah. all of that is steel. All of that is metal. My dad built that out of Bulletproof? metal. Bulletproof, bro. And there's a window, and the window's still there in Compton. I took pictures of the place. And I even asked the guy that owned the place, I said, is those, are those walls made of metal? He says, yeah, how do you know? I said, my dad built those. That was a candy store. And that's where I would fucking sell crack in Compton. And, and it was the kids. So now we covered it up. Now we would knew we had foot traffic all day long selling crack, but we were also selling candy. And they, he had me as a front guy. So if cops came over, it's just some kid trying to make some money with his candy store. Right, right. Not knowing I was actually selling crack. Oh my gosh, bro. That that is just super, I mean, unique, man. And you know, did you ever have a situation where like, I mean, shit, someone would try to hold you up or say, hey, you know, some anything like that, or some uh, you people know what? A, a weapon there, or some sort? There's been when people pulled out guns 
People pull out knives. People try to snatch, uh, get in. That's why my dad built that freaking fortress because it was the bars. And yeah, you could try whatever you want. You can pull out a gun and I would just, my dad said, just move to the side. <laughs> he can shoot all he wants. He's not going to hit you. All of that's made of metal. Let him shoot. Let him shoot till he's done. Because when he's done with his bullets, I'm coming out with my 38. You understand? Let him fucking unload. Don't worry about it. We're inside. We're good. Once he's done, I'm opening this door and I'm shooting this motherfucker in the face. That was what he said. That's the, that was the, the drill. You know what I mean? We're, we're, we're running a business here, bro. We had safety meetings. You know what I'm saying? We had OSHA compliance. <laughs> he said, I'm protecting my employees. I'm training you on the situation. You know what I mean? We were good. We had safety right. training, everything. Oh, man. Um, I'll tell you this, though. It was easier dealing with the crackheads than it was with the kids. Because the kids would come to this candy store and go, how much is that? 25 <laughs> And what about this one? Five cents. What, about that? what the fuck? Do you, what do you want? Just pick something. The, look, move. The crackhead behind you knows what he wants. Move, move, move. Come here, come here. What do you want, bro? All right, got it. Got it. All right, go. Move. Yeah, yeah. I would literally separate the lines because I would hate the crackheads waiting behind kids to drink <laughs> candy. So I had crackhead line and I had candy line. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, bro, the little, I, roped off and shit. Bro, I was making 20, 30 bucks a pop with the kids. I'm making just five cents, six cents profit. I understood. Get the fuck out. You're taking too much time. Uh, Richard, man, so on a serious tip, though, like you must have learned a lot of, uh, you know, business tactics and, and entrepreneurial uh, lessons. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, just just in business, man. And what, or what, can, what can you tell us about what? those things that you learned as a businessman, I mean, doing that. That people are stupid. <laughs> Sorry. People, especially when you're on drugs, you're stupid. And my dad proved it to me. He says, and he would tell me, see, that's the beauty of my dad. My dad never had to tell us don't do drugs. My dad showed us why you shouldn't do drugs. And that's more impactful. You understand? You don't have to, to show me the statistics. Don't tell me what's going to happen. Just go, look, 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 look. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and, and things like, I'd be at the candy store, and my dad said, watch how stupid people are. Watch this fucking thing. And he would come over, hey, yo, what's up with the blah, 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 blah. My dad's like, oh, oh no, bro. I just got that clean shit. I got that. And well, he wouldn't talk black. <laughs> Sorry. It, it, like, it would be a paisa, and he would tell the paisa, no, carnal. Es que la, la esa ya se me acabó. Tengo esta, pero está más, más fuerte y más pura, güey. Sale un poquito más, es que no, no tengo esa. Espérate mañana o ve después, me la van a traer la otra, porque esta es la que la, es, está muy, muy buena, güey. ¿En serio? Sí, sí, güey. ¿30 dólares más? Sí, güey, 30 dólares. Ah, dame esa. And my dad said, it's the same fucking coke, mijo. It's the same fucking coke. He shouldn't have showed me that fucking trick. I did that shit every day. Oh, shit, <laughs> bro. If my dad was going to do it to them, I was going to everybody. And, and you understand? So he showed me, he says, look at these actions of these people. Mijo, yeah. don't do crack. Don't do coke. Don't do this. This is who you are if you do that. Yeah. No, that's great. That's I was like, oh, shit. First-hand knowledge right there, man. Yeah. You can't, uh, yeah. Gosh, damn, bro. It, it's, it's, it's weird because a lot of people tell me, Richard, what you went through with your dad, that was abuse and you need therapy. And I tell them, are you fucking with me? I had a dad in Compton in 1988. You know how rare that was? <laughs> you know how special I felt? And that motherfucker had a job. He sold crack to their dads. You understand? <laughs> That's the reason they're not there. Mine was the winner. And he gave me a job. 
You understand? Oh my. my dad was there every day. Who else can say their dad was there? My dad was there to tell me, no, culero, sientes aquí va a ser esto, así se mide. I knew the metric system at the age of 10. <laughs> you understand? I knew, I knew, dude, I knew how to cook crack. I knew all this shit, dude. My dad would sit there and go, mijo, vengase para acá. Que viene el refrigerador? Un seis de cerveza. I see a six-pack of beer. No, fucker. Behind the six-pack of beer. A gallon of milk. That's what you do, mijo. A man takes care of his family. If usted quiere tragar caca, primero sus hijos van a comer y luego usted trague caca. Si no hay para los niños, no va a tragar caca. If you don't have money for your kids to feed your kids, then you don't get to fucking buy a six-pack. Do you understand? Yeah. And I had a father there present to tell me that every fucking day of my life. So for you to say I was abused, I say, fuck you. You were abused. You didn't have a dad to tell you, don't tell people what the fuck to do. Because <laughs> my dad would tell me, shut the fuck up. That's none of your business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So he's giving you lessons of life while you're, you know, going through all this stuff, man. And, and how long did this last, bro? Like his business, his family business? <sighs> Three years. Three years, man. Three years because... The, everything is good until you're you're good. Nice. You understand? Everything is good till until you're really good. And when we became really really good, then the actual local gang, the Crips, did not like it. Oh, they were shit. like ah ah ah. So they came and they told my dad, "Hey bro, we know what you're doing. We know what the fuck's going on with this candy store. Basically, you gotta pay up." Mm. My dad said, "Fuck you." <laughs> and, and and he starts arguing with the guy and this is a big black guy and he starts getting my dad is drunk now we're not there we are at my mom where we went somewhere with my mom but my dad's outside drinking with my uncle and this big black guy my dad's like and they come to intimidate him and say hey you're gonna have to pay taxes now and mm. my dad gets mad and he takes a swing at him and then the black guy just nails him boom drops him to the floor knocks him back well, my dad gets up, he's five, six, shakes himself off and runs to go get his 38. He runs into the house. And remember, this is back in like uh, late 80s, early 90s. So, and drive-bys were really popular. Oh, shit, man. He goes to his 38 and sure enough, at, he, before he even comes out of the house, he's already shooting that gun. Holy. Shooting at him. They start running up the stairs from an apartment building next to us. And my dad does not stop shooting. He doesn't say, hey, there's people in those apartment buildings. No, he goes, nope, I'm going to get him. Pop, 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 pop. I keep shooting up toward the apartment. And you see the bullet shoot, the bullet holes all over the apartment building. And there's family in there. Oh. And I'm like, what are you doing? What the hell are you doing? And um, oh my gosh. So when that happened, they were obviously not happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like the very next day, we got a drive by. And my mom freaked out. And she's like, okay, viejo, ya vámonos. Like, this is serious. They're going to kill. Like, when the drive-by happened, we all fell to the floor. And my dad's like, dude, it's 1990. Drive-bys are popular. It's not just us. It's everybody. It's a, <laughs> it's a cultural thing. It's a incompetent thing. And I'm like, no, motherfucker. It's a drive-by. They try to shoot us. That's <laughs> yeah, only a drive-by. It's a drive-by. Drive you know what I mean? Deal. So yeah. They're giving you hints like, hey, you're going to have to pay. My dad still wouldn't get that point. A week later, they actually stop in front of the house and just unload da, 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 straight at the house. And we all hit the floor. And at this time, we're getting ready to go to Mexicali. So my dad's not at the house. And my brother, Teddy, is alive, by the way. He's in the, in the car seat. And, and as they're shooting the house, my mom had the car seat on the bed because we we're getting ready to go. 
And we all hit the floor. We knew the drill. I mean, we, we knew drive-bys were popular. So we knew to hit the floor and nobody was worried about it. One of the bullets goes through the, through the door or the side of the door and hits the top of my brother's uh, car seat. And he flips over. And you see my mom just scavenging through the floor trying to get to him. And when she gets him, she unbuckles him and he, he gets him. I've never seen him get him naked so quick. Like she rips his clothes off trying to look for the bullet wound. And there's no bullet wound, and, and it was just the car seat. Missed it by this much. Oh my that, God. that night, my mom grabbed trash bags. She put all that shit in, in trash bags, all her clothes. She left the house, and she told my dad, that's it, we're done. Like, you understand? We're done. Like, I can't live like this. I can't live knowing that tomorrow one of my kids can be dead. I got to go. No. And we left. We stayed at a hotel that night, and then the next day, my mom walked into a real estate agent and said, Here's a shitload of money. Go get me a house. Yeah. yeah. And then the guy just said, oh, you pick one. <laughs> Which one would you like with this money? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that was the happiest real estate agent I've ever saw. He bought us ice cream and everything, bro. Fucking <laughs> Barbero. <laughs> but, but that was it. My mom just said, you know, I, she knew eventually that day was going to have to happen. And so she just had to pull the trigger on it. Thanks to her, man, we're still alive. I'm pretty sure if we would have stuck around, my my dad would have been stubborn. We wouldn't be here. Yeah, bro. Yeah, that's a that's crazy, man. I mean, though, did you, in that moment when they that last shootout or not shootout, but when they came, and uh, thank goodness no one was hurt. Did you think you were gonna die, man? And that, or what, what were you thinking at that moment? You know, as you're as you're ducking and covering, and I mean, what what was going through your emotional? That's as fucked up as this might sound. You're desensitized, man. At that time, at that age, in the, in that city, dude, we, it was common. Like, like it for you to say, "Oh, they ha I had a drive-by last night." Oh, me too. <laughs> I mean, it was like, yeah, man. I mean, we had full-on gang fights in front of our house. We had shit. If my dad's the guy shooting at the neighbor, you know what I mean? My dad's part of that fucking problem. You understand? So, so for me, you're saying, was I scared? No, was I scared of my own dad? You know what I mean? It's it was life. It, we just knew. But when my my brother started crying, when when my my mom heard my little brother crying, that's when it it really hit home. Like oh shit, like we've been in in the in the shit so long, we don't even smell it anymore. Yeah. Till this happened, now I could smell the shit around us and say this is not a good environment for my kids. I gotta rescue them. It's like a wake up call. Huh? Yeah, like a wake up call. Yeah. So, it's weird. It's people say this. I, say, I, I never saw it that way till later on. Now I see it because I see my <laughs> daughter and my, I say, "You little bitch! Are you swear? Are you are you, are you getting stubborn?" Right? I'm like, Wait, I don't want to go to Disneyland. What? <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, they always say, uh, you know, I used to have to walk in snow, <laughs> no, uphill. <laughs> I sold crack for free. My dad for, for three years, goddamn. Yeah, I'm gonna have to have her so crack so I can put some adversity in her life. <laughs> oh, yeah. hey, bro, you're more, you know the business. <laughs> Might as well, right? <laughs> uh, so, do you guys stay in Compton after that, Richard? Or? With who? With my dad? With, with the family? You guys, or did you guys move out of Compton after? You guys oh, well, I, okay. So, what happened after that? My dad said, "Fuck it, I'm staying. Go, take the kids. I'm not leaving." Two weeks later, he just kind of said, ah, this is not my life. This is not what I want to do. Like, yeah, I mean, miss the family, miss the wife, all that stuff. Because that's macho, macho waves. You know I mean, you don't want to lose everything over this. So my dad just said, nah, I'm coming over. So he just came. He got a job at Hertz, rent a car. 
and he became a maintenance guy, a mechanic. And that's it. That was it. He opened up a shop. Actually, he, he started that business and he, with the money he had made, he opened up a shop when I was 13. But a year later, all of us were like, this is your dream. You understand? I like, I don't want to be a grease monkey. I don't want to be in a, in a shop. This is not what I want to do. Yeah. None of us wanted to do that. And my dad's like, nothing el taller. Nobody wants to shop. And he's like, dad, that was your dream, bro. Like, I don't want this. Like, I want to do other things. I want to have my other business. I want to do this. I actually, when I was 16, I told him I want to do comedy. And he That's the encouraging words I got from my parents. <laughs> but here we are. Bro. <laughs> so, so going back to that, bro, I mean, what, what was it that turned you on to comedy, man? Like, wh why comedy? Why not music? Why not sports? Why what was it about comedy for you, brother, that you just like, you know what, this, I can see myself doing this. This is what, this is it right here. When uh, the fact that I got admiration and, and praises for this type of thing. Since I was a kid, I had, I had four brothers. I mean, I have five brothers. But when we were younger, it was like three of us. And out of the three of us, my dad preferred me because I would memorize Pepito jokes or I memorize Polo Polo jokes. If you know who this yeah. guy is, a very old comedian. Yeah. Musar cassettes, I still remember, man, watching he said Musar. Musar would sell these cassettes and they would Polo Polo and I would learn all the Mexican jokes. And so my dad worked as a security guard early on before I we went to Mexicali. And I was, what, five years old, four years old. I was born in kindergarten. I still remember because my mom would get mad. My dad would wake me up at three in the morning and said, ¿Te acuerdas los chistes que te aprendiste? You remember the jokes you learned? I'll give you a dollar. Just tell the jokes to my friends. So I'd be outside at three in the morning after they came home from the bar. They would be drinking. They'd give me a Budweiser and a cigarette. And I'm telling jokes and having a great time. And I'm like, a ver, señor. Llega un borracho a la cantina y le dice, a ver, señora, teme su teléfono. Vieja, prepárese para hacer el amor cinco veces. Ay, viejo, ¿a poco vienes tan cachondo? No, vengo con cuatro amigos. <laughs> you know I mean? Like shit like that. Like I would do Pepito jokes. And, oh, and they would be dying because they see this, this five-year-old act like an adult and saying all these bad words. <laughs> the bad part is my dad gave me a Budweiser and I, I would drink it and I would smoke and I would fall asleep on top of the hood of the car. And... The next day, I would pee myself because, of course, I've been drinking beer and smoking. So my mom, to wake me up at kinder, would wake and go, well, esa cerveza, cabrón? He smells like beer. Did you take him out, Lolo? And I smell like smoke. And so he's like, I gave him a shower yesterday. I don't have time for this shit. He's going to show up to kinder smelling like Budweiser's and smoke. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? So the fact that I got... I got that niche as a kid. I always knew, wow, I love the autom uh, automatic gratification of, of acceptance or just applause or laugh. Yeah. It's automatic, bro. It was like a drug as a kid. For sure. And I got older and I saw a guy, Willie Barsena, do it at Culture Clash. And when I saw Willie do it, I was 16 years old and I said, man, I want to do that. Willie Barsena. Willie Barsena. And when he did his set, dude, I couldn't stop laughing. And that's when I told my dad. And that's when he shut me down. Culture Clash, the old, uh, I'm sorry, brother. Um, the old Culture Clash, Clash the, old, the Fox oh. show before Matt TV, before yeah. all of those shows. Early 90, 91, 90, 91. Yep, yep, yep. I remember. Yeah. And, and I remember being 16 years old watching this. Or like 14 or something. I couldn't stop laughing. And I was like, oh, shit.
And my and my parents didn't encourage it because they said, who do we know? Who do we know you're a comedian? Where's the school of the comedians that you're going to go to at 16? So I became an engineer. Yeah. yeah, I graduated, went to start working as an engineer at Irvine at Pico Manufacturing. And that's where I found comedy. I had to get out of college, get a degree, get a job in Irvine, which I have no business in Irvine, by the way. If you know anything about California, Irvine is where the rich white people go hide from, from brown people. And <laughs> that's where they go hide. But we know you're there. And you just hire us to do engineering work. And the smart ones, they'll let us in. And so I'm in Irvine. <laughs> And we see a, a sign at the improv in Irvine says, if you think you're funny, come and audition. Okay. So the guys that were with me, like, yeah, let's go, bro, you're funny. And so he says, well, I'll pay a ticket if you put him up. So he gave me three minutes. And that was my first time on stage, my first time ever at a comedy club. Wow. That's how I went performing. And, but I had to graduate from college. I had to become an engineer. I had to get a job in Irvine because I knew nobody. Mm. That's the only, the only exposure I got to it. So... Does that mean that another kid that really loves to do stand-up has to wait until he becomes a fucking engineer and gets a job in Irvine in order for him to fucking get an opportunity to do stand-up? No. Yeah, I mean, we didn't have those exposure. I think we just didn't have people that could tell us you could do it or look, it's possible or anything like that. For us, it was just like, oh, shit. Yeah, absolutely. But once I knew how to get it, once the college didn't give me shit, but build discipline, like the military, you understand? College held me accountable. And they say, and you're paying for it, motherfucker. So good luck. We don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? So what that taught me is to wake up at eight. What that taught me is to meet deadlines. What that taught me to do presentations. What that taught me also is to get out of my fucking bubble, man, because I came from a world that was this small. Yeah. When you go to college and you meet other people, you realize that you ain't shit. After a while, you start meeting Vietnamese people, Jewish people, or German people, French people. Yeah. They, they, your world will start growing and your friends will start growing and your circle will start growing and you'll realize that's that's who you surround yourself with. And it was weird because my brother had to pull me aside because I was fucking up. And my I give big props to my brother. Like, damn motherfucker. You need that. You need a guy. You need to so so for women to say, ah, oh, I don't need a husband. No, your kid needs something. You understand? Your boy, your daughter needs something, somebody to tell them it's okay. This is what. Because we will be misguided. I was fucking up not going to college, going to Bull, like Gage Bowl in South Carolina, Park, that area. And I would go to Gage Bowl on Wednesdays. He said, you're fucking up. You're not going to school, bro. He says, you got to look at it this way. Either you can settle for fucking Gage Bowl or you can go to college, get your ass out of here and have another liberal fucking fine when you have jet skis, bro, when you have a boat, private jet, when you have all that shit, bro. This, you're limiting yourself to just Gage Bowley, they're going to be here 40 years from now, still fucking Bowley. Where do you want to be, bro? And it's kind of those, those talks, heart to heart, when your brother, and you know there's no malice behind it. You go, yeah, God, and he, those are the people that pull you back in line, and you know, go, okay, fuck it. Yeah. But if you don't have one, who the fuck pulls you? No, 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 yeah. man. No, one, no. Yeah, so going back to that, 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 that UC Irvine, UC Irvine, that Irvine improv. <laughs> Uh-huh. That, that, that performance, man, that very first time you got your three minutes, were you, I mean, how, were you nervous? Take us through that, that little experience, bro. I was drunk. 
What do you want me to tell you? That was ready now. I, I, it was an improv thing. It was just we're drinking at the yard house after a big job. And they said, let's go. Well, let's go. I'm 23. I don't give a shit. Let's go. But what I did meet is other comedians. And they told me, oh, there's going to be a show at the Riverside Municipal Auditorium with Que Locos. Mm. So I, I show up to that show. And when I see that show, I see Armando Cosillo, Gabriel Iglesias, Willy Barcena. I see Felipe Esparza. I see all of these guys. After the show, we meet them. And, and Armando Cosillo goes, here, that's, that's Tortillas in Montebello. Go there. You want to try comedy? Go there. I just went to see. I didn't know waiting that Willie was going to be the host that was going to bring me up. I didn't know he was running the show. I'm sitting in the back of Tortillas and I'm thinking, man, I don't, I don't want to get a beer because I don't want the guy that running the show might think I'm an alcoholic. And as I'm saying that, Willie walks in with two beers. Hey, who's first? You? <laughs> You're going to go up first. I was like, oh, it's Willie Morzetta. And then I went up and ate shit, bro. <laughs> Tortillas, you eat shit. I eat shit. Really? Uh, yeah. You eat yeah. shit, you get off, they hand you your ass, and you go back to the corner and try it again. <laughs> but, but you get started that way. And that was that was my introduction to this. After after that, I was hooked. I couldn't do anything but look up comedy shows and and just go into these shows. You remember Gotham's in Montreal? Yeah. Yes. Right there off of uh, uh, Garfield and Firestone, is it? Or is it Beverly? No, no, got, well, Gotham's. You're talking about um, Firestone, right, in Southgate. Oh, I, I, I was, the one Gotham Montebello. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because it was, I know, I know Gotham's in Montebello too. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And we're talking, uh, by the way, for everybody, uh, you know, just to get some context, we're talking 25 years now. 25 that, that was, years. The, the, uh, Gotham's, 30? yeah, Gotham's is that long. No, I'm, I'm talking about the Gotham's that I knew, I wasn't doing comedy yet. They were just doing clubs. Okay. I, I didn't even know about the comedy scene. I got into it in 2001. Okay. I my first time on stage was November twenty eighth, two thousand one. Oh wow! Okay, which is twenty years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Over twenty years ago. Man. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. And uh, no, so yeah, we're going back a long time now, Richard. And so you've been, you've been, uh, you paid your dues, man, right? And, and oh, so, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, man, the, but your dream kind of. Uh, I wanted to go back to. You know, your, your dad wasn't very uh, supportive, right, about your your, your dream, yeah. dream about becoming a comedian. So for you, was it kind of like, uh, okay, well, you know, you went to college, and as you're going through college, were you kind of uh, hoping that one day uh, that co the comedian thing, were you looking to get back into it at some point, or was it just, you know, like a forgotten thing at that point? It was you a know? forgotten thing. I thought I would never revisit this thing. It was 16 years old, really mm -hmm. want to do this. And every corner I turned to tell my peers, to tell everybody else, they said, that's pendejo. They're stupid. So after, after you understand, no, no. I mean, this is serious. Every time I turn to somebody around me that I trusted and say, hey, I want to do comedy, that's pendejo. Yeah. After you get that's pendejo like a hundred times, you kind of go, maybe that's true. Maybe it's just a pendejo. Be careful what you tell people, man, because yeah. they're talking to you and nobody's listening. And, and for me, once I was 23 years old and I was strong enough to know what the fuck I wanted, I was like, no, I, I, no estoy pendejo. I know what I want. I want to do this. To the point where a year later, uh, I told the, uh, the guy that, that was running the engineering department pulls me in and says, listen, Richard, it's been a year. Um, since that comedy show, you haven't done shit. 
I've done any work. All you do is go online and you use my internet to look up open mics. Okay. <laughs> I believe in you. I think you're hilarious. I think you are going to make it in this business, but I got to hire somebody else that's actually going to do some work. So why don't I do this? I'll give you unemployment, give it those six months of at a boy and see what happens, bro. I said, oh, you know what? Really? I like that deal. Fuck it. I'm out. Wow. And so what that allowed me to do is put that pure pressure on me and go, oh shit, now I'm just full time. So I have to create avenues of income so I can keep my head afloat just enough till I get known or at least get a little bit of work. Yeah. And, right. and, and it helped, man, because sometimes you just need to get un, uh, away from your comfort zone. If he would have never fired me, if he would have never have let me go, I think I would still be miserable as an engineer doing open mics. But the fact that he cut me loose and he said, now swim. And I yeah. did. And I floated to the top. Once I knew I could just breathe a little bit, like I was good. I said, okay, I'll live off of this. I'll live off of this little just yeah. so I can keep doing what I want to do. And that's when I knew, okay, this is what I'm going to do forever. When I was willing to do it like that. Yeah. You put so, the pressure, pressure was yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. So if you're living at your mom's house and you're thinking why well, your rap career hasn't taken off, get the fuck out of your mom's house. You understand? When you have nobody to lean on, when you have yourself to lean on, remember, there's other kids in my house. I can't come back to my parents and say, hey, can you support my dream? No. My dad was already pissed that I quit engineering. Mm. You understand? He understood what I was doing. He says, agarra otro trabajo ingeniero. No. Voy a ser comediante. What? What? Yeah. You understand? Yeah. What is wrong with you? You have student loans that you haven't paid and you want to go do comedy. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, yeah. What kind of engineering, by the way? Mechanical engineering. Mechanical. Yeah. Um, a, my dad really was tough on me when it came to this until he saw me perform with Luis de Alba. Yes. When he saw right. me perform with Luis de Alba, he said, okay, you made it. Wow. The reason that I wanted to do comedy also, because my dad was a huge comedy fan and his idol, his idol, the person that we would go to, to the video store. And my dad said, Lo que haga Luis Alba. anything Luis Alba has, go get it, bring it. I'm going to enjoy it. That guy's a genius. Right. So I was like, oh, okay. And so when I got an opportunity to open up for him, my dad was like, you've made it. Wow. Like, this is it. like, like, wow. Like you did it in English, but now you're going to do it in Spanish. Wow. He was blown away. Where was that at? The, 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 Teatro Los Pinos. They closed down. It was an old theater by Southgate. Okay. And it was crazy, dude. Like to walk in, you see everything. Like you, you I still remember sometimes my dad would go see Luis de Alba when we were like kids. And we'd go in the theater and he would watch the whole play. Like it was the only time he would shut the fuck up. <laughs> Just wanted to see the whole thing. And he would eat off of that, dude. And so now that I got to perform, my dad became a fan. So when he was going through dialysis, he would carry my flyers for the refried shows at the Hollywood Improv. Mm. So at that time, I, I, I got an opportunity to create one of the biggest shows in Hollywood that showcased Latino talent every Friday night at 10 o'clock. And it became the biggest show in Hollywood, like for 10 years, from like 2006 to 2016, no, 2015, something like that. We were was the, the, the refried comedy shows, refried Fridays. Mm. Those refrights, and dude, it was just hilarious. Everybody would show up, and and my dad would not promote my show, and I was like, "This is the first time," because he saw me with Luis Alba. Wow. 
Wow. Years Luis later, Alba. like now he's one of my clients. Luis Alba, now I represent him and I tour him across the country. But just to know that back then, that was a, that was a guy. This is it. That's all I had to do to get your approval. I would have brought him a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Luis Alba, is he, is he a Mexican comedian? Yes. From Mexico? Yeah. He's like the Don Rickles of Mexico. Gotcha. He's, he's iconic, bro. Like, like he was at one point, he was number one all over Latin America when it came to film, theater, stand up, television, radio, everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and now uh, you've toured with uh, Franco Scamilla. Yes. Which is like the Mexican Kevin, Kevin Hart. Hart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talk about some of those experiences, but how'd you connect with him and, and, and all he, that? I was producing a show with, uh, I was producing a show called uh, Sigue la Risa. And we're putting together a, a showcase. What happened is Refright closes down and I go to Mexico City. I, at that moment, Refright, because it was such a hot show, it was such an iconic show that when they told me, you're done, this is it, no more. I was like, ah, all right. And I felt a little bit like you just didn't want the Latino show there anymore because of the guy who was running it. And it was just something personal. And I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to Mexico and I'm going to bring Spanish comedy back. I want to bring them all. So in 2013, I go out there and I pitch an idea to another producer and we start discussing it and says, yeah, let's put this together, this series. And he got a buyer for it. So DirecTV decides, yes, we're going to pick it up. And then they decide, ah, we don't want it. And it got sold to, to Netflix. But the way we met is I told them we need to go see Franco. My wife had showed me a video of him and said, this guy's hilarious. And sure enough, dude, when we got there, the line was incredible. And I was like, is this for Franco? Yes. It's been sold out for months. And once you see him, you realize, dude, this guy is amazing. Like he is yeah. really good. Like the way he talks, it's almost like a motivational speaker, like a, like a Tony Robbins, but yeah. it's in a funny way, bro. And you're listening to the whole thing. And if you listen really closely, he said, hermanos, hermanas, déjeme preguntarles, hermanos, hermanas, and he keeps saying hermanos, hermanas, like a preacher would. Yeah. So, and I see those mannerisms. So going on tour with him with three years. So when we go and propose this thing, it, the schedule just didn't match because of all his dates. But I went on with the show. And that day I told him, hey, do you think I can open up the show in Mexicali? That's where I'm from. And Franco goes, sure, come down. I didn't know this was going to be in El Flex, which is a, a rooster ring where they fight roosters. That's where the show was at, at a palenque. Oh. So the stage is a circle and the walls are full of blood. <laughs> and I'm the first one. And they said, don't worry, put rugs on the floor so you don't see the dirt. I was like, oh, with the blood, it's okay? All right. So this is my first experience. It's 6,000, 5,000 people in a palenque, in a circle. And I'm telling my jokes like this. I've never done a circle before. And then you hear, yo también pagué, culero. And you turn around. <laughs> he's mad because you're not facing him. And he's like, I pay too, motherfucker. <laughs> so I don't know. I didn't know I was supposed to walk around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh shit. Tells you this shit. And I just see blood on the walls and I'm like, is this from the comedians or the roosters? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, my dude. God. So that's how I meet Franco. Uh, okay. And then after that, uh, when he gets to the US, he says, would you like to tour with me? And I said, sure, let's go on tour. And I got mm -hmm. to, I just got to see that, that, that there is fans, Latino fans all over the country. Yeah, that's awesome, brother. And you, like you mentioned, uh, do you have a preference, man, when it comes to performing in English versus Spanish? Is it the same for you? Or, or it, it, it is different. It is different. And it's, 
I think I can go deeper when it comes to English. Um, just because I think people are more, I don't know, maybe I communicate a little more easy just to go deeper and, and really get into a serious subject when it comes to English. And you, it's fun when it's comedy and you can take him on that emotional roller coaster. That's awesome. But the beauty of, for me, I'm just saying for me, the beauty for me in Spanish comedy is the fact that it takes me back to my childhood. Because you got to understand, my childhood was always in Mexico. My childhood, where we spent Christmas was with grandma. And those yeah. days where we were joking around, remember, I told you, my fondest memories was at five, drinking a, Bud, a Budweiser and telling jokes to my dad. So that's, doing it in Spanish takes me there, puts me in that mood of just happiness. Nostalgic. Maybe. Nostalgic feeling, yes. And I, and I feel like I can just let loose. Like my mom can get everything I'm just saying. Mm, yeah, yeah, man. No, that's a man. That, that's a great, great story, man. Great story, man. You've been through a lot of stuff, man. And um, what? Talk about some of your early comedic influences. Like who, who? First with that, and then if you can, who's your go-to all-time favorite comedian, Richard? If you can nail it, narrow it down to one guy, man. Latino, whatever. That one comedian, if you can do that too. Hey. Para mí, español o inglés, para mí, español o inglés, it doesn't matter. It was just his presence, the fact that this man could capture you. And, and, it, and he will tell you when the fuck to laugh. He will set it up. He sets the tone. He's a conductor. He's, his eyes are everywhere. His eyes were everywhere, and he can see. If it was 5,000 people and you got up over here, he will point you out and notice you and go, you piece of shit, where are you going? Why are you going <laughs> to take the shit? You're going to miss this. Uh, you know Polo Polo. Oh, shit. Polo Polo era un poeta, un cantante. Polo Polo. Because I just devoured everything he had and the patience to tell a joke. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, just his, his facial expression will have you laughing, and he was just a master at it. So, if if you're asking that guy, and if you don't know him, look him up. I want to look him up, man. Funny, funny story. I, I'll tell you a, a, a small story. Dave Chappelle shows up to the Refry show. I'm, I'm hosting the show at the Hollywood Improv. Dave Chappelle shows up and they're all Latinos. They're all Latinos from Southgate, HP, Huntington Park, La Puente, Bell, Bellflower. All of them are right, Lakewood. And Dave Chappelle's up there playing the piano. He's fucking around. And he tells a, a black comedian, come over here and tell a joke. He tells a joke. He's like, you suck. Get off. Is there anybody who can tell a joke, joke, like a real joke, something that make these motherfuckers laugh? And I was like, I, I just, it's my show. I ran up and I said, here's a good one. And I tell a Spanish Pepito joke. And everybody starts laughing. But Chappelle doesn't know what the fuck I just said. <laughs> he said, what'd you say? <laughs> the Spanish joke, Bebito joke. And then he goes, oh, like Pollo Pollo? You mean Polo Polo? Yeah, that motherfucker. Oh, shit. I was like, wow, Chappelle knows who Polo Polo is. Mm, yeah. I mean, he, he didn't know the, the pronunciation, but he knew it was Pollo Pollo or something like that. It was Polo Polo Polo. Yeah, that guy, that guy. Yeah. I was like, wow, respect, son. The goat knows. The goat knows goats. <laughs> you know, if, if Chappelle knows who Polo Polo is, I better know who the hell Polo, Polo, Polo is. is. If you don't know who Polo Polo is, you're going to find out today. Polo yeah. Polo, the master, bro. Just watch him. Absolutely, watch him. man. Classic. So who are some of your um, 
influences then, like American influences as, as comedians, man. Like uh, Chappelle, George, Mencia, yeah. the, all the big boys. We would when when I was in the business when I just got started. George Lopez was the biggest comic at that moment, and 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 Que Locos was the big one of the biggest shows being aired yeah. at that time in Galavision. So mm -hmm. Spanish comedy was just blowing up at that moment. So I came in in the right time. But I will tell you something, man. Um, nobody gave it to me. That when I first started, I then asked for other spots and nobody would book me. I asked other Latinos to book me and they wouldn't book me. And I realized I can sit here and wait until they realize that I want this and I'm funny and they should give me a chance or I'm just going to fucking do it myself. A month into my career as a com comedian, I said, I can't wait. I'm going to go make my own path. And the reason nobody's ever been able to stop me is because I've always created my own path. I said, okay, fuck you. Then I'm going to go to this bowling alley. I'm smart enough to fucking talk to the owner. I'm going to get a comedy show going here. And I open up my own show. And three years into my career, Jeff Garcia shows up in, in Southgate and sees me at a fucking Marisco place, packing it out, charging fucking 10 bucks a pop. He's like, you're doing this? Yes, here. You're making this money here? Yes. He says, do you want to go to Hollywood and get fucked for 50% of it? Sure. <laughs> and that's what I did. I went to Hollywood, went to the improv, and I gave them 50% of my fucking interest. But in return, though, they gave me exposure. They yeah. gave me the opportunity to travel all over the world. I got to perform for the troops uh, three times. I got to be on multiple television shows. I got movie offers and, and already locked in offers just by being there. I had three propositions for three from three showrunners, meaning the exposure was there. Me getting booked as a warm-up guy for LA TV to start producing content for LA TV, to start producing my own stuff. It all came from being there in the industry, in that network. But Jeff would have never have taken me if I didn't have something to offer. If I didn't prove it to myself first and to everybody, look, he packs it out regardless. Yeah. You may not know his fucking name, but he packed it out. So he's doing something right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's it. That's now the equivalent of that because we used to use flyers. Now it's Facebook. Does yeah. your social media numbers reflect who you are? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, but but that's that's how it happens, bro. You you have to set yourself up so people can notice you, and you're undeniable now. They go, "There's no way anybody can do what he does." Love that, man. I love that. Yeah, you you went and did your own thing, created like you said, and you've talked about it on other platforms. You know, creating your own lane. You know, yeah. create your own lane, man. And Who's gonna stop you if you're the only one that knows where you're going? Now, once you know where you're going, stop fucking running and worrying about the fucking neighbor. Do you understand? That's our biggest problem is yeah. you know where you're going, then be secure and confident enough to go, hey, I know where I'm going. I don't need to run. I don't need to rush it. Right now at 44, people want to tell me what to do. And I tell them, dude, I've been doing it for 20 years. I know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. It's your plan is your plan. My plan is my plan. Do you know what my plan is? No, then shut the fuck up. Let me do my plan. My plan, I already know where I'm going. The key here is I cannot stop. That's the only rule. I can crawl. I can walk. I can run when I have the energy, but I cannot stop. That's the only fucking rule. You can crawl. Shit, you can have a friend kick you in the ass all the way down the road, but you cannot stop. Yeah. yeah. That's the only key thing in order to make it. Love that, man. Words of wisdom right there, brother. Richard, man, what is next for you then, man? What, what can you tell us about some upcoming shows? You, uh, you got the August 7th show coming up in Ontario Improv. We mentioned that earlier. 
Uh, maybe we talk about some other projects, man, that you can that can you, you can do, um, divulge at this time. Yeah, yeah. Yesterday I met with my brother. He's produced. We produced ten feature films back in like in two thousand nine to two thousand thirteen. We produced ten feature films for Distramax. They all got national distribution. Uh -huh. uh, in 2013, I decided to drop all this stuff because I didn't want to do it. It was just too much. My brother goes to film mm -hmm. school. Now we are going to create a project called, we know what we're doing. We already know how to make films. So we're going to jump into a project called El Sapo. El okay. Sapo is about a Mexican wrestler that doesn't want to take off his mask. Almost like Mr. Wilson. So every <laughs> scene in the movie, like when he takes off his mask, he's always like covered somehow. And so it's just a comedy of uh, uh, overcoming adversity, fish out of water, coming to the US, making the transition from, from that type of wrestling to this type of wrestling in America, all that stuff. So we're gonna start this project this month in August, and hopefully you'll see the first episode. It's gonna be a mini series called El Sapo. And it's just a comedy about a Mexican wrestler. I love that, man. So love that's, that. that's one. And then uh, the, Compayaso on the 7th at 3 p.m. So we're at the Ontario Improv at 3 p.m. And then I have the uh, Imperial Bowl. Imperial Bowl, those little gigs that I do, when I do those little gigs, you get to see material that maybe you'll never get to see again that I'm working on. Meaning that's where a comedian learns if a joke works or not. See, a, a musician can go practice all day long and get good. But if I practice my joke here, I won't get any responses. I have to go to an audience. Yeah. So when I go to an audience and I'm doing these small bowling alleys or I'm doing these small little bars, go to those because those you're going to get 20 minutes, 40 minutes of just fucking solid new material that you go, that motherfucker's never going to say that again. It's too, crude. <laughs> it's too crude. That'll never air. And I have other people that depend on me making an income that would say, Richard, no. Do you understand? This is going to mess us up. If you say this, this will mess us up where we don't get booked anymore. So you can't say this. You can yeah. go do it at the small bars, but you're not going to go do it at the big clubs. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Good stuff. I know, man. We're, we're, you know, I'm excited, man, to, to see you continue doing your thing, man. And uh, I want to go catch your a live performance, brother. And um, mm. where can the good people? Before we wrap things up, man, where can they connect with you? Where can they find you? Social media, websites, all that good stuff, brother. Uh, at Richard Comedy for Instagram or at Richard Via Comedy on uh, TikTok. And just really, my website's going to be up and running by next week. So you can just go to richardvia.com. I actually own my name. And you'll see all my social media platforms. And there we're going to start putting uh, links to El Sapo. We're going to start putting links to what I'm doing is my brother said, hey, it's been 20 years. Can we dump all your material out to social media? And I said, sure. Okay, so hours are going to be going up to my website. So if there's a time where you want to bring family over and say, hey, you guys want to see Richard's Hour? Just go to my website and you can actually stream it and watch it for free. Oh, nice, man. Yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward. Hey, man, I want to thank you once again, Richard, for taking the time, coming on my platform here and uh, enlightening us, entertaining us, making us laugh, man. Nah, thank you, man. Absolutely, man. You know, you're welcome back anytime. We'll get you back on in the future. And uh, yeah, th thanks again, brother. Appreciate you. Hey, appreciate you too, man. Thank you very much. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Ladies and gentlemen, there is Richard Villa, former crack dealer, uh, comedian. <laughs> uh, go check him out. Go follow him. He's super funny, as you, as you just saw, man. He's doing big things. He's, uh, he's uh, conquering the world, man. He just performed, or actually he appeared on 
You can also catch his appearance with Tom Segura, by the way, on his uh, on Tom Segura's oh, podcast. Yeah. yeah, and then my podcast. If you guys want to know more about the story, oh. and how he got caught in school with the money, all that stuff, go to my podcast. I'm not even playing it. The American Illegals podcast, where we showcase uh, illegals in this country that made a difference. <laughs> there you go. I love it. I love American Illegals podcast. Thank That's you. it, man. Yeah, Thank you very thanks. much, man. Absolutely, man. There it is. Richard Villa, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, go check him out. Uh, thank you for tuning in, wherever you're tuning in from, whether it's the audio, whether it's the video. It's always a pleasure being here. The bottom line is you're here with us, and that's that means the world to me. So go follow, like, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, re- leave a review there. Go follow Richard Villa and check out Social Nostra. We're doing big things on the, on the network. So uh, once again, thank you, Richard. We'll see you soon, brother. And uh, for Richard, I'm your host, Double A. And always remember to take it easy. Peace. Thanks, brother. (laughs) Thank you, bro. Take it easy.